Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Matt. I am a pastor at our church. I'm not preaching today. Uh, we had this weekend a seminar called The Praying Life. Many of you were there. A really helpful refresher about ways in which we can see God at work in the world. Uh, and this morning, it's my pleasure to invite Bob Allums, who was our seminar speaker, to come to preach today. Bob, would you come forward? Those of you who are at the seminar would know a few things about Bob. He has a, a kind spirit about him uh, that loves people and loves God. He has, as you will find out, I'm sure, an infectious laugh. And most importantly, eyes to see God's work in the world. Uh, I, uh, he, has, he helps us to see the way that God is working in us, around us, among us. And so, Bob, it's a great joy to have you with us today. Welcome, and may the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Well, good morning. <clears throat> Oh, what a joy to be with you. Uh, just thank you so much for just a wonderful weekend. Thanks for letting me be part of the family for just a few days. Uh, we've had a great time with you, and uh, it's just a real treat to get to worship with you and uh, also kind of preach for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Can you believe we get to do this? I mean, is this not the most marvelous thing? How many, I'm just curious, how many of you had trouble sleeping last night? Because we get to go to church. Oh, is it time to go? Do you find sometimes there's that kind of spirit of anticipation? Uh, uh, no, you're looking at me pretty blank. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I'm just getting started in the Christian life. Uh, this is my 50th year, so just getting... I promise I'll settle down. But one of the things I, I notice is that there is an anticipation of the spirit of when God's people get together, right? And it'll grow on you. So thank you. Thank you. I get to worship with you. This is a great privilege for me. Oh, let's, uh, let's take a moment and um, let me get my timer here because I have a tendency to get excited. Oh, boy. Uh, Let's take a moment. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the coming of the Spirit. We just pray this morning for a fresh filling by your hand. Oh, Lord, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Oh, Father, the, the, the deepest cry of our heart, the deepest affection this morning is that you would be glorified in your assembly. And so, Father, would you slow us down, we pray? Would you give us the ability to concentrate on what you have for us? Mm. Lord, would you free us from distractions? Would you draw us into yourself? For all we ask for the rest of our lives is that we'll be found in the center of your will and that we will be a pleasure to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text this morning comes out of Revelation chapter 3. <laughs> Did you get a kick out of that title? Can someone please get the door? <laughs> that was supposed to be funny, but I forgot to tell you. And before we read the text, let me just set this up for you. 
uh, being kind of an old guy, when I was growing up, if somebody came to the door, it was kind of a big deal. Everything kind of stopped in the house, and all the focus came to, you know, going and answering the door. And now, just a few years later, well, a few decades later, I find that, number one, not many people come to the door, and number two, when they do, it's a little bit of a sense of an imposition. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Are you that way? Oh, no. Is it a salesman who wants to sell me something I don't want? Or, oh, no. Is it a delivery and I've got to go, you know, sign? I mean, it's a little bit of I'm in the middle of a meeting or I'm doing. It's an imposition, right? And uh, not too long ago, Helen and I got on this home security kick. And we started watching videos of home burglars. <laughs> and I found out from, oh, and, and the, these videos were of home burglars that were um, interviewed in prison. And it was really enlightening because I found out most home burglars want to come through your front door. And what I learned from one in particular is, hey, when we're casing a house, we don't walk up and ring the doorbell like, you know, civilized people do. We come up and we yell through the door, ringing the doorbell repeatedly and pounding. And we know if we hear no response whatsoever, or if we can actually look through a beautiful, one of those beautiful windows and see no movement in the house, we know chances are we've got a clean shot. The front door is important. And think about that as we read our text this morning. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither, cold nor hot, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and the salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what we get to see here, and I promise this has everything to do with prayer, but bear with me. What we see here is the way the Lord Jesus pastors his churches. As you know, the book of Revelation was intended to be an unveiling, a revealing 
okay? And I really believe what John was out to do was encourage Christians on the mainland, but he had to kind of use kind of a code because he was quite sure the Romans were reading his mail. <laughs> and so uh, he writes to seven churches, and if you were to see them on a map, they would all be in a bit of a circle. So they're all within, oh, 80 to 100 miles of each other. And the idea would be that even though there might be a, a letter written to City Reformed Church in Pittsburgh, other churches could glean insight from that letter. Does that make, make sense? So often these letters were intended for lots of people, even though they had a specific audience. And here John is writing to encourage them, and he's telling the Christians on the mainland, hey, you're about to go through suffering, but you're going to be okay. The Spirit of God is going to see you through. And then he writes to each of the churches specifically. The first five churches, the way he pastors them is you can tell that he really notices them because he says, I've got some things I want to commend in you. You know, so Jesus starts pastoring with some attaboys. <laughs> and then he moves to... You know, you're doing these things really well, you're receiving the word, you're hardworking, you're doing good works, you're sacrificing for each other, yet three cheers, hallelujah, amen, you know, but there are some things you need to think about and work on. There's some things you need to pray through and seek, seek help with. Does that, so words of commendation and yet also words of correction, and isn't that what shepherding is? It's someone who sees us and loves us enough to encourage us where we're strong and help us where we're weak. Right? Makes sense? Well, the last two churches are different. There's a church in Philadelphia, and here he has only neat things to say about them. No, no words of correction. But then the church at Laodicea, he has nothing good to say. <laughs> you know, oh, golly. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you're like me, is begin to pray. So uh, 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 pray through a Laodicean spirit. And let me explain what I mean by that. Because uh, when he comes to the church at Laodicea, he, he's all but given up. He's all but given up. And he basically says... Number one, your problem is that your affluence is so great, you know, you're so well off that you have slipped into self-sufficiency. You never come to me. You never seek me. You never ask me for help or guidance. You've become completely self-sufficient. Now, how did that happen in the church? Well, we know that Laodicea was a very wealthy culture. There was a medical center there. Textile industry was going strong. It was a place of commerce. It was a, it was a booming economy, if you will. In fact, we know from certain historians that in AD 60, there was an earthquake that severely damaged the whole area. And they didn't get help from anybody. They pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. Does that make sense? They, they just, yeah, I mean, uh, they didn't pray. They didn't seek the Lord. They didn't seek outside help. 
And one of the greatest causes of prayerlessness in our day, in our culture, is a Laodicean spirit, or in other words, a sense of self-sufficiency rooted in our own gifts, our own fruit, our own life. Does that make, that make sense? And prayerlessness is just deadly to the Christian life. Oh, golly. It is the greatest threat to us as Christians and to churches. So, first of all, let me, let me go off on a side note, Pastor Matt. Thank you for being a praying church. It was so neat to sit here and, while we all prayed together. Oh, I loved that. I can't wait to get back and tell the guys back at the office, guess what I got to do? I sat in a praying church. <laughs> and this is a big thing for us. Uh, at a praying life, we have found that the greatest struggle in Christian ministry today is prayerlessness. One young man told me, or told us, church planting killed my prayer life. One man came up to my boss, Paul Miller, who wrote the book, A Praying Life, and said, why don't I have more of a heart for prayer? And he was in ministry. And my boss spoke right into his life, Pastor Matt. Only Paul Miller gets away with this. Paul Miller said, you are far too confident in yourself. You are far too self-reliant. So do you see, what I want to encourage you to do is this. First of all, be aware of the culture in which God has placed us. I call it a post-enlightenment culture because we, in the United States, we really have been trying this experiment ever since the Enlightenment that started around the late 1700s, mid-1700s to late 1700s, called the Enlightenment. Do you, everybody up to speed or do you need a, want a one-minute review? Some of you say, yeah, some of you say, no, nah, I got this. Well, for those of us that are good. Uh, remember, there was this great experiment in worldview that was really inherited from a, a divergence between Platonic thought and Aristotelian thought. And Platonic thought emphasized the world of ideas or the invisible world, if you will. Aristotle, one of his students, took issue with that and said, no, reality is found in the world of particulars. So, all right, so somewhere in the world of ideas is the idea of the perfect iPhone timer. <laughs> and the one I hold in my hand is kind of an imperfect rendition or a corrupt form of the perfect idea. That would have been Plato's thought. Aristotle would come along and say, oh no, the iPhone Bob holds in his hand, that's reality. It's one of the particulars. It can be empirically verified. It's and what happened about the time of the Enlightenment or about the time of the French Revolution is that a German philosopher by the name of Immanuel Kant came along and he said, I know, I'll bring these two worldviews or these two views of reality together and it'll be like a house with two stories. The upper story will represent the unseen world. The lower story will represent the seen world. Now, of those two stories, guess, guess which one 
became labeled the real world. Any guesses? Yeah, the lower story. And that really took hold in the West. Uh, uh, I mean, the Enlightenment, the enlightenment spread in uh, France, England, and the United States. But what we have found is you and I live in a post-enlightenment culture. And the idea is this. Smart people live in the real world. And then what Kant would have said, if I'm reading him right, and you can correct me later if I'm not, Kant would have said, if you need to go upstairs into the unseen world to help you, it's okay if you need that kind of help with your view of reality. It's okay to go upstairs in the unseen world, case in point, where God is, but just don't tell anybody. <laughs> it is far too personal. And so what does that mean for people like you and me who are called by the Spirit? We've been called out of darkness into a great light. We've been gloriously converted. We love Jesus. We're walking. What does it mean? It means we can be seen as a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> we're just a little weaker than everybody else. We're not quite as smart as the smart guys, you know. And if that creeps into the church, which it often does in a post-enlightenment culture as dominant as American culture, it can lead to a real spirit of unbelief. And the fruit of that is just raw prayerlessness. We simply are not praying. We don't seek him for guidance. We don't ask him for help. We don't come before him and focus on him. We don't enter prayer stories that we actually watch and wait and track. We really don't spend much time with him. Or at best, we'll read the word, yay, I mean, don't you love reading the Word of God? I mean, I can look, I can tell you, you're bright people. You love the Word of God. But then it's just so easy to close it and not respond through the heart of how he's developed our minds. And that can take root in a whole church, not just a culture, but a whole church. I think that's what happened at Laodicea. And I think in a very real sense, it's the challenge we face today as Christians. We have been called to lives of great prayer and to lives of intercession in a culture of unbelief. I'm here to tell you, it's really fun. I, I've been, I, I get to go... Uh, the calling on my life, I, I'm just having so much fun in my calling. I know that comes as a surprise. <laughs> I get to go share with people throughout the earth in all kinds of different cultures and countries. I get to go share with them, your father loves it when you call. He loves it when you come and seek him and just spend time with him. And I have found that the hardest place for Christians to learn to do all of life through prayer is guess where? 
the United States. It's really hard in all countries, that, all cultures that went through the Enlightenment, but especially in America, we seem to have succumbed to a sense of out of our great wealth and our great prosperity that God has given us. The temptation has been to sit back and go, we're self-sufficient, I got this. I really don't need to ask for help. I really don't need his insight. I really don't need his encouragement that comes from spending time with him. Does that make sense? Anybody, can you identify with it or is it just me? This is uh uh-huh and this is uh uh-uh and and just looking at me means, Bob, you're on your own, buddy. (laughs) I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to begin to pray against your own personal spirit of Laodicea. Because do you see, do you see where the text goes here? Uh, Jesus says, oh, you're very tepid. <laughs> I just think this is great. You are like room temperature water. And so I, I just find it distasteful. Now, uh, keep in mind, in Laodicea, the water was piped in, okay? And in Colossae, there were cold water springs, these refreshing cold water. Oh, don't you love cold water when you really want cold water? And yet it was, gosh, 10 miles away. And so it was piped in by the time it got into Laodicea, it was what? Yeah, room temperature. It was tepid. It was just kind of, well, it, yeah, it's water, but... Uh, there was a place where they got hot water from Hierapolis, and it was about six miles away. It, too, was piped in. And guess what happened to it by the time it got there? I mean, by the way, don't you love hot water when it's time for hot water? I mean, you know, it's therapeutic. It's comforting. It's good. Cold water, refreshing. Hot water, soothing therapeutic, comforting. And yet what Jesus is saying is, hey, guys, you remind me of the very water you drink in your own municipality. You've lost something. You're so self-sufficient. There's no place for me in your life. And I really enjoy you being at my father's table. My design for you is that we would do your life together. But you have to be constant in prayer and coming to me. Amen? By the way, for those of you who are not at the seminar, uh, bear with me because we spent like six hours (laughs) laying a foundation for this. (laughs) So thank you for coming in kind of cold. But do you see where Jesus is going? I, I want something from you and I'm not getting it. But here's what Jesus says. Here's the word of hope he has for us who struggle with a Laodicean spirit or who live in an unbelieving culture and are tempted to live lives of prayerlessness. I'm at the front door. And I'm not only knocking, but I'm calling. We know he was calling through the front door because he says, if anyone hears my voice. And I'm just nervous that it's so easy to fall into the trap of going, oh, no, somebody's at the door. 
can somebody else get it? Can somebody go get the door? What Jesus is saying is, hey, I have made you, I have given you the gift of your life, and yes, you live in a spirit of, un- a culture of unbelief, Yes, you live in a place where people struggle with prayerlessness. They are not praying. They are not entering prayer stories. They are not tracking. They are not watching and waiting. They are not moving into repentance when I reveal it. They are not cultivating faith in this one-on-one relationship we have with him, this direct access that we have. Okay, but I'm here to tell you, you and I will have a party if nobody else wants one. (laughs) come to me, answer the door, invite me into the nitty-gritty of your life, and I'll come, and we will do your life together. See, the glory of the gospel is this. When you think about it, when you watch for the... Okay, let me just... Before I give you that summary point... Uh, kind of build up to this. We see this tension in the Old Testament, the great question of was God, was Yahweh infinite and therefore distant? Or was he personal and more localized? So is Yahweh a, um, like a tribal deity or a geographic deity, right? This was the tension during the day of uh, the unfolding of the Old Testament. So in a few few hours, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to fly to Orlando, Florida. And if I believed Yahweh was a tribal or regional deity, I would ask him to please put a good word in for me for the God of Orlando. <laughs> and that's not Disney. <laughs> and, uh, and so this was a big question. And so for Psalm 23 to come along, it would have been almost scandalous academically. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh, the infinite one, really cares about the details of my life. That's the Lord Jesus. And what he is saying is, I am calling you. Come do your life with me. And I love it when you interrupt me. I live to make intercession for you. And I will develop you into one who brings more and more glory to my Father. That is why I came. That is why I called you. That is why I want you. So I'm going to encourage you. Even though you and I, we struggle against the Laodicean spirit, even though we live in a culture of unbelief, even though churches really struggle with prayers, community prayer, oftentimes the prayer meeting is gone. You know, guys, uh, folks, uh, as a a pastor, I just quit the prayer meeting. And why? I just got tired of sitting in that big room all alone. And I knew what I had on my hands was a spirit of unbelief in my church. And I loved our people. But we just didn't believe God was going to do anything in the prayer meeting. We really didn't believe he was going to lead us and move in our midst and enable us to do great things for his glory. We just kind of shut our hearts down. And yet, Jesus is saying, hey, I am here. 
answer the door as individuals. And you know what? Not only will I come in and we'll have lunch together and we'll develop our intimacy, our friendship, our oneness. I'm not just your Lord. I'm your shepherd. I'm your friend. But not only will I do that, but I will call you an overcomer. You will sit with me at my throne. Are you, are you seeing this? So, Bob, how do you do this? It's easy. You just start by saying, oh, Father, even in, as a Christian, I am really tired of doing my life alone. I just cannot do this day without you. Would you please, in Jesus' name, Father, would you send your spirit? Would you lead me? Would you help me get over myself and my self-sufficiency? Thank you for the great wealth you've entrusted me. Now, how can I give it away to your glory? <laughs> what can I do with it that will glorify your name? For I need you. And I know it. And what I want to share with you, and this is especially for those of you who were not able to make the seminar this weekend, what I want to share with you is that when you begin to pray, you will enter a story between you, your heavenly father, and the person you're praying for, or the matter that you're praying about. And I want to encourage you to just, when you pray, take a quick note of it, and then give God space. Give him room. Watch what he does. Take note of what happens. And what I have found is that the Christian life becomes a great adventure again. You begin to amass these really neat stories of God's hand. He begins to take you more seriously and show you himself. And I, I like to say it this way. I think the Christian life gets fun again. And for a lot of us, it's a long time since we really enjoy life with our Father. Jesus put it this way, ask of me, ask in my name, ask whatever you will, and I will lead. Oh, you know, in John, uh, John 14, 15, and 16, the farewell discourse, anybody know how many times does Jesus say, ask of me? It's one sermon, it's one briefing, of the disciples before he goes to die, remember? And he says, I'm, I'm going to leave you, but you're going to be okay. And here's what I want you doing, asking. Anybody want to guess? It's okay, I'll tell you the answer. <laughs> You'll be okay on the exam afterward. Six times he says, ask of me, ask in my name. Now, if Pastor Matt next Sunday gets up and says the same theme six times in the message, what is he a little nervous about the first five times? <laughs> Where is he nervous you're going to get stuck? Isn't it in the ditch of not asking at all? So let me ask you, where are you now? Where's your heart? Where, how are you doing in your walk with God? Are you struggling with self-sufficiency? Does prayerlessness describe the way you do life? 
Do you just get discouraged by the unbelieving culture? Do you find yourself overwhelmed with prayerlessness? Then I just want to encourage you uh, just to begin to pray. And just take some time each morning and begin to ask things of him. And get as specific as you can. And I promise you this. You'll be living out the gospel. Because you'll be coming to him just as you are. And I promise you this. He will receive you. And he will love it when you come. And then I want to encourage you just throughout your day. Go to him. Go to him constantly, asking for help, for perception, for leading, for power, for loving. And watch what he does in the developing story. And see if you don't find yourself overcoming in an age of unbelief. And when we are so tempted by the spirit of Laodicea. Mm. Mm. Would you like to... Would you like to just speak with him for a few moments? Mm. Mm. Let's just be quiet before him. Mm.